You know, Christmas is a very big event in the spiritual realm, but Christmas has also disrupted many people's lives in Jesus' days. Some very negatively, but the rest of humanity really became the benefactors of that day. But there are two individuals that we're going to focus on today that faced the tremendous disruptions that were brought about by the birth of Jesus. One response or one reaction brought great peace, joy, and heavenly intervention. The other response brought sorrow and great chaos, distress, and even death in many, many families. You notice, though, regardless of how we react to disruption, because disruption will come, the will of God, watch this, will always be fulfilled and accomplished. You can resist God. You can resist his change. You can try to outmaneuver him. But the word of God says that he knows the end before the beginning. He knows he sees the end from the beginning. And so you can resist God, but the one that is not going to be successful or lose out is not God. Because he's always in control. He will always accomplish his purpose and his will. Now in our study today of disruption or the reaction thereof, the will of God here is to usher in the Savior of the world. I don't, I don't, it didn't matter how people reacted to it, how they respond. It happened. The Savior of the world came. <coughs> and throughout the history of humanity, and in, th- in fact, throughout the history of the church, every time when there is a move of God, you know, the, the most recent one in the Pentecostal movement, the healing movement, uh, the, uh, the, the airport, uh, the, the, I don't know what that movement is called, but, you know, the renewal movement, I guess you can call it. Um, in, the, in the 40s, there's also the latter rain movement that started in Canada that spawned the Jesus movement and then spawned the vineyard. And, and so, you know, so on and on. And every single movement, if you may, always were met with disruption and chaos. If you remember the Pentecostal movement, once it started, the first world war actually followed soon after. And during the second world war, it was the, the faith movement. You know, the word of, the word of faith movement and, and also the Lateran movement, the second world war. Every movement, you will see huge chaos and disruption. But the reason is because this disruption is so, is so, um, is so powerful and that the forces that oppose the movement, of course, will do everything in their power to cause chaos and disruption. So this is my hope. At the end of the service, you and I will learn how to respond to disruptions in life because they will come. You say, why are you cursing me? I'm not cursing anything. This is just, I'm just telling you the truth. You can't avoid it. It's going to come. Now, because as surely as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, and I believe the sun will rise tomorrow morning, amen? Unless there's, you know, even if there's a rapture tomorrow, the sun will still be rising tomorrow. There'll be a sun rising. As surely as sun will rise tomorrow, there will always be disruption. You know why? Because God is always doing a new thing. Everybody say, God is always doing a new thing. And we want him to do a new thing in our lives. We want him to do a new thing in humanity. We want him to do a new thing. But every time when he does a new thing, there will be disruption. And because of the opposition, there will be chaos. How we respond to it will determine our personal destiny and the lives of those in our sphere of influence. Now we're going to study the first disruption. It was the disruption of a life's 
plan. Luke chapter 1, we read, read verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, if you want to know, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And we talked about it last week. A descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, and Mary was greatly troubled as his words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be. You know, in our modern days, a lot of people like to chase encounter with God. We hear about stories, you know, of, you know, people like in Bethel, you know, they got like feather. What I just, everybody is chasing the supernatural. They want the supernatural. But Nero, do you realize that the supernatural encounter of God in most cases comes with a purpose and a plan that would disrupt the one who had the encounter with God? You know, there's one time, you know, I, um, I was grumbling and complaining to God. I said, God, you know, I serve you for so many years. I pray a lot. I study your word, you know. I go to all kinds of conferences. I'm always the guy who never experienced any sensation, have never experienced you. I never seen an angel. People tell me, you know, I still, I saw in this church alone, there'd be people coming like every single year, almost once a year, I see people say, you know, pastor, I saw an angel behind you when you were leading worship, you know. So this is a very common thing. I was like, God, I see nothing. There's nothing going on. People have vision and dreams. So I said, God, you know, I'm so upset with you. You know, you're so unfair. I don't see anything. You know, I'm one of those guys who feel nothing, right? You heard me say that all the time, you know. You go to a crusade or a miracle healing or, or some kind of revival service, you know. You hear people all reacted with the Holy Spirit. Oh, they all freak out. And oh, I feel the presence of God falling over and shaking everything. I feel nothing. Just nothing. I remember one time we were in Bogota, Bogota Colombia, you know, about 20,000 pastors gathering, you know, and then um, the pastors who hosted, you know, he, uh, he, he invited Benny Hinn to come and Benny Hinn said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing my jacket. He's very dramatic that way, you know. I'm going to swing my jacket, you know. Every direction I swing, the power of God is going to hit you and you're going to fall. And so, you know, he was like 20,000 people in the stadium, you know, and then he started to take his white jacket off, you know, he go, Everybody on the side would just win and boom, 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 and come to my section. And you got to remember, I never experienced anything like that before. So I was so excited. I was holding, he said, he said all your pastors, you all hold hands. So we were holding hands, you know. And then he go, my direction. Everyone fell except me. I look around and go, come on, Lord. You know, seriously. So we always love some kind of experience and encounter. Do you know that those experiencing an encounter are not for our entertainment? There's always a reason. So the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, son, you know, those true encounter in the Bible, like Paul the Apostle, Peter, you know, they, they, they spend time with me. Do you know every one of them got martyred? The more is given, the more is what? Required. And so don't be so excited about it. And then, you know, he started to show me all the different incidents in the, in the experiences of all the amazing saints over the history of the church. And then I said, God, I'm okay without the encounter. I'm fine. 
I love you anyways. You know, thank you for your experience. Whenever you want to show up, I will, I will obey you. But anyway, so this is what happened to Mary. Instead of chasing it, because a lot of people think it's just for an experience and just don't kid yourself. Your true encounter with God face to face always come with a purpose and a plan and be ready for it. And that the grace of God is on you. But verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. This is so complicated. I can't understand it. Since I'm a virgin. And the angel said, well, guess what? I'm going to disrupt your life now. Okay? And the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will to be born, will be called the son of God even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age she was said to be unable to conceive in his first six months just pause here a little bit I want to have a commentary here you know every time when God is about to call you or say something to you do you know that he always back it up with a with an evidence here God is calling Mary and he's giving Mary an evidence of miracle that would be her cousin now in her old age is conceiving uh, to, uh, John the Baptist and I always say this a miracle signs and wonder in every church is a must because when God stopped doing miracles in our midst we have reason to question if what is being said is from the Lord so every time when this miracle happened I'm absolutely excited so you need to come and tell me if miracles happen because it affirmed to me that what I'm saying is what the Lord wants me to say are you here this morning Last week, we heard, you know, a gentleman, a, a, a brother, you know, he came out of the community and said, you know, I just got healed. My, my knees, you know, is acting up. And, and so I prayed and, and then during communion, I got healed. It excites my heart. When you share with me the testimony of healing, it excites my heart because it confirmed. The word of God says in Hebrew that even Jesus himself needed miracles to affirm what he said was true. Him and his disciples. So miracle is not just a good to have, a nice to have. In this church, we absolutely covered miracles. So I always would pray before the Lord, say, God, I need more miracles. I need miracles in this place. I want this place to be full of miracles all the time. Amen? So where were we just now? Okay. Um, so that's a miracle. Verse 37. Uh, For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, in the King James Version, it says, uh, uh, um, uh, Be it unto me according to your word. And this was Mary's response to a huge, massive disruption of her life. She was just going to marry off with some business, local businessman, you know, have a normal life, have a nice life, have children, you know, and just, just, just enjoy life, you know. She had everything all planned out because her family planned it for her, you know. And so she was so happy. She's getting engaged, you know. She's taken, you know, praise the Lord. And, and life was going to be just amazing. And then boom, there was the disruption. Some of you are experiencing, you know, you have great plans for your life, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, something disrupted you and you thought it's a bad thing. And so what do people do? They resist. I'm going to talk more about that. But for Mary, this 
disruption brought great trepidation, great fear. And yet her response was amazing. She's like, whatever going to happen to me, whatever is going to happen to me, whatever it implies, people are going to accuse me of getting pregnant out of wedlock. I might be persecuted. I may be shamed. And my life is now completely disrupted. And her response was, be it unto me according to your word. Or in this version, may your word to me be fulfilled. What's the result out of that? Well, it's very simple. Mary was used by the Lord to usher in peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Peace on earth means rest to humanity. Goodwill towards men. That word will in Greek actually means favor. Favor towards men. We are the benefactors of Mary's obedience. That's the result. Now let's look at another disruption and then see how that was being carried out, how that was being responded. Is in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of the king of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> it's like Mary, very disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests, teachers, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. We have somebody that was born in Bethlehem. Were you born in Bethlehem? Yes, we have somebody born. It's a real city, right? It actually happens. It's not just some, some fantasy, okay? Praise the Lord. So, but you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Out of your land, my sister Janet, will come, or had come, the ruler of the world. When, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may worship him. He did this because, you know, he wanted to go kill Jesus. Now let's jump to verse 13. Between 8 and 13, the Lord appeared to the Magi, tell them not to go back to King Herod. So they went home without going to King Herod. So now when, when the, the, the Magi had gone, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream and said, Get up! He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Let me pause here and just have another commentary. Every time when you obey the Lord, watch this. It is going to be his responsibility and he will protect you. It is his responsibility to protect you, to protect your family. Here, God had called both Joseph and Mary. And God makes sure they escape every harm that this crazy Herod has set up. And so, you know, for those of you who call in the mission field, you know, I always, 
I always tell people I don't have the grace. I haven't been called the mission field. Uh, my mission field needs to have five star hotel, Shandai. You know. <laughs> but you know, one of the greatest fear is that you know. Uh, I remember one time I had a really good friend of mine. He's a missionary in China, and and um, and uh, uh, he he just invited me. Come on, come visit me, and you might go to prison. You know, I've been I've been go to prison a few times, and you know, and and I've been uh, they've been murdered, attempted on my life uh, many times, and he said, what you come and, and I was really excited about it but you know I was too scared because you know I was just growing up as a preacher you right and I did not realize that you know if God had called me and it has to be God right sometimes it's out of our emotion out of our own excitement we think God had called and so we jump into it and we got hurt and we blame God are you here this morning so this fellow his name is Dennis Belcom he'd been here many times he's called the apostle of the Holy Spirit movement in China and he's from California, and uh, we had him come here a couple of uh, many, many times. And and he'd tell you that there would be a tense. One time he was being hidden uh, among all the straws because they needed to get him out of town because the communist was coming in to try to arrest him. And so, so those he was he was uh, riding on this bunch of straws, so, uh, uh, hiding inside. And so when when the truck was stopped by by the communist soldier, um, and they actually was looking for him, and he wasn't in there. And so one soldier, he you know those soldiers they have those rifle with the knife at the at the end, the the knife at the end, and so they were poking the straw. He just felt like all those knives were just coming through, but nothing hurt him, not even a scratch. See, when God had called you, he'll protect you. Amen? So God had protect him, you know. And so here, um, where was I? 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Oh, I read that already. Verse 14. And so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from Magi. Verse 17. And that was, that, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because... They are no more. So Herod reacted completely different from how Mary reacted to the disruption. Now, you see, he is threatened. His dynasty is being threatened. Or at least he thought his dynasty now is being threatened. There's another king coming. How dare him? So let me get rid of him before he even had a chance to, to grow up. It's almost like that Terminator movie. Some of you remember, you know, they go back in time to kill the mother. They go back in time to kill the young John. They go back, go back in time to do this. That's, that's how the devil thinks, right? You know, so just want to just destroy this child before he even had a chance to grow. But you know, the way that he acted did not start the day he heard the news that Jesus was born. His reaction was not an overnight thing because throughout his life, he had been that way. 
very emotional. You know, some of us probably are victims of people like Herod, just act on the emotion all the time. Because throughout their lives, they always make decisions out of the emotion. I'll tell you a little bit of King Herod. Herod was actually not even a Jew. He wasn't born a Jew. He was a, a descendant of Esau. He was known as an Edomite. You know, Edomite was, you know, living in Samaria at the time, you know. So the descendant of Esau, Edomite, he was converted to Judaism. Actually, not him. His father was for political reason. You know, um, there, was, uh, there was this fellow by the name of John something, I can't remember. He actually had conquered Jerusalem and Samaria before the Roman came in. And he was a very devout Jewish person. So he forced everyone living in Samaria and everyone, whether you're Jewish or not, to be converted to Judaism. And so this family was converted because of that. And when the Roman came in, so he was already a, 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 a Jew convert. Although a lot of people say, well, he really cannot be a Jewish person because he did everything that is contrary to the word of God. But nonetheless, he was so-called convert. But he was a violent man throughout his life. He was so brutal in killing off his enemy that he was being put on trial one time for murder. If it hadn't been for his family, his uncle and his elder brother, who, was very, who were very, very politically connected, he would have been executed as a murderer. But because he was so, so, so connected, they rescued him from the trial, so he, got, he was able to evade the, the, the execution, but eventually become the king in that area. And so every single time when he is angry, he's a speck of people, he'll kill them off. So one time, you know, he, he already got married, you know, and... And so uh, uh, he was already have a child and a married, but he thought it was not politically expedient to keep that wife and his child. And so he just banished his, his own family so he could get a new wife. Her name was Miriam number one. And Miriam number one uh, was quite politically connected. So he thought he would further establish his political power and his throne. And so he married. And one day he found out Miriam, he thought Miriam was trying to betray him and he killed her off. And then he married Miriam the second, kind of weird. But anyway, so, you know, um, uh, so he, 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 he killed off, he killed off all his enemies. So he's always very, uh, very emotional, very, uh, he's always rushing to make decision with emotion. And then there's a lot of victims and bodies around him. And so, you know, so all those children that were in Bethlehem, they were the victims of his emotion. But you know, the Word of God tells us that he suffered, not the Word of God, sorry, the history tells us that he suffered a terrible death. Now, if you don't, you're familiar with the history of, uh, of the Roman Empire at the time, you know, Herod, uh, King Herod, the, the, the senior, not the time, not the one that when Jesus was crucified, but, you know, that was his son, one of his sons. But Herod senior, he, um, he was so sick and in such pain that he tried to kill himself just so that he doesn't have to suffer anymore. He died, um, I believe, is in um, uh, Jericho. He died in Jericho. And he tried to kill himself and he, he, because he was so painful. Some scholar, Josephus, was saying, I believe Josephus was saying that he actually succeeded in killing himself. But we don't know what happened. But we know that he had a terrible death. Now, here, he faced a disruption. Disruption of his dynasty. He was fearful that the Herodian dynasty would collapse. Because of Jesus. He was threatened by the birth of Jesus. So this disruption made him very nervous. So instead of accepting the purpose and the will of God, like all politicians, all kings at the time, he resorted to do whatever is necessary, whatever it takes. Deception, murder, massacre, whatever it takes. First, he tried to use the three wise men to locate Jesus. Failing that, he committed one of the most hideous crime of massacring in the history of mankind. 
His reaction to the disruption brought deaths to many children, deep sorrow and great pains for the families of the murdered children. Do you realize that whether or not King Herod was going to do that, the will of God will continue to be carried out? And every single time, as I say, when the will of God is being carried out, there will be great disruption of people's lives, of people's plan. And many of us have been great benefactors of that disruption when Jesus was born. We are the beneficiaries of Christ's birth. That's why we're here today celebrating Christmas, talking about Christmas stories, drinking hot chocolate, shaka, you know, have Christmas tree. A lot of people say, oh, that's so pagan. Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We want to worship Jesus, you know, praise the Lord, right? But at the end of the day, we are celebrating the goodness of God that he brought to, uh, brought to us through Jesus. So he came and we are the benefactors and beneficiaries of all those amazing disruption. But ever since the birth, of Jesus, there have been many, 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 many disruptions, whether it's in the church or even outside the church. There's a lot of disruption. One of the things that outside the church is called the Industrial Revolution. People are just messed up, you know, they kill themselves, they kill the family because they could no longer provide because all the factories now are making ma- you know, making cars and things like that without having to need a human. They, they tell us that we are in the fourth um, industrial revolution. I don't know if you realize that. You know, they say that they are replacing, you know, uh, I was listening to some of the political debates the other day, you know, they say that 30% of the American shopping mall had been closed down due to Amazon. 30% of the malls in America got closed down and it's just the start. Because Amazon in this automation uh, ability and mind is replacing humans. And I don't know if you've been following the story of uh, artificial intelligence, but also the story of car, self-driving cars. And so, you know, they're testing self-driving cars, but many of you do not know that they are testing self-driving trucks, the 18-wheelers. And they are going to, they are, within the next 10 years, in fact, some say within the next five years, the 10-wheelers will be moving on highway on their own. They are already testing it now in California. And what that means is that all of those donut shops, Shaka, they're going to disappear. Because no truckers are coming into the donut and coffee shop in the middle of the night. And you know, many of the small towns in America, they need the truckers to come through. Because if the truckers don't come through, the town's going to close off. And guess what? They will. As soon as all this automated truck being coming online. I mean, it is as scary as Terminator movie. I'm, I'm serious. But those are disruption. Now, many of us are benefactors of all the technological invention. And we have not been disrupted because we were born after the disruption. But we are nevertheless the benefactors. But within the kingdom of God, within the move of God, there's always going to be disruption. Disruption, uh, um, uh, you know, in technology, disruption in democracy. But in the church, in the kingdom of God, spiritually, there are also disruption. So there are disruptions, but there are also benefactors. But among the benefactors, we also see a lot of victims because of the people, some of them with tremendous power, when they face disruption, they resist and oppose the disruption, especially the move of God and bring chaos. Every single move of God in the history of the church had brought tremendous chaos. Why? Because the stakeholder, the establishment of the time, did not want to move 
of God because why? It's going to disrupt their power. It's going to disrupt their politics. And so they continue to hold on. They resist the move of God. They call it a heretic and they accuse us of being demonic. I can tell you about the Pentecostal movement, the evangelical movement, the healing movement. Every movement of God has been accused to be heretic. Why? Because the establishment, their lives, their political influence are being disrupted. But we are all benefactors. But every single time, I want you to remember this, when there is disruption, I want to encourage you to do what Mary did. I want you to remember this word. Be it unto me, God, according to your word. You see, each disruption, I'm going to say it in another way, is a shift in the spirit world. When God is ushering new things in the days to come, and He is going to usher new things, even in our midst. And He had ushered new things in our midst many times that people just can't handle it, can't handle it and so they left. It's like, oh, this is too much. He's ushering new things. When He is ushering new things, don't resist. Be in rest. Because there will be opportunity for you to enjoy the new move of God you become the benefactors of the move of God. Don't be in panic mode. Don't be in fearful. When you, how you react, remember, it's going to determine your own destiny. It's going to determine your own lives. The will of God will always be fulfilled. Now, let me conclude this whole idea about how to react to destiny, sorry, to react to disruption with the book in the Old Testament. Now, all of you know the story of Daniel, Yeah? Are you here this morning? Can I, can I hear a big yes from you? Now, we all heard the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel, the Bible says that he was part of the noble family. He was royalty. He was part of the royal family. He was maybe the cousin, cousin, cousin of somebody, right? Still royal family. It's like Prince Anna, Princess Anne, or Princess Anne. You know, nobody know who she was, but she's a sister of Queen Elizabeth, you know. It's like, but she's not in the main line. But so Daniel was like that. But you know, if Jerusalem would continue and 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 the day the, the throne of they will continue, Daniel will never experience anything that he experienced after he was exiled to Babylon. And this is what happened. God had prophesied that he was gonna cause Jerusalem to fall because of idolatry. After the fall, all the nobility and all the royal family, they were put in chain and they were forced to walk miles and miles from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. And if you were in Daniel's shoes, you would think to yourself, what good is this? You know, I was part of the royal family, we well respected, everything was provided. Now I'm in chain. You could actually, he could actually turn to God and curse God. There are many people in his days, many royalty did that. And some of them actually were slaughtered by Bebel, the, the King Babylonian later on, if you read the story. But you know, Daniel, we were told that he was being picked to be working in a court because he's one of the smartest guys in the royal family. And in that time he was picked, he chose to follow God nonetheless. He didn't say, you know, God, you just forsaken us. Now I'm here. No, no fault of my own and yet, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking on the punishment. My good life has been disrupted. I'm just going to curse you and die like, like Job told his wife. But instead, he continued to honor God. He and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a really difficult name to remember, right? 
Somebody told me the way, the best way to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is Meshach, Yoshach, and a bungalow. Then you remember everything, right? So anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they honor God. They honor God, and Daniel became the most powerful person in a nation, um, except the king, the emperor, of course. He was the most powerful person, except the, the emperor, in a country that was ten times bigger than his own country. In his own country, if the disruption didn't come, he'd have been a nobody. But in that disruption, massive, violent disruption, many people died. Many of his, as Keen died, many of the people died. He stayed the course. He rested in God. He trusted in His goodness. He continued to serve God despite of the disruption. And God honored that. Let me close with this. Second close. <laughs> one of my greatest heroes, one of my biggest heroes is Reinhard Bonnke. He passed away yesterday, December 7th in the morning, out of sickness. Some of you probably know that. But one of the things that really touched me about his life was um, one time he was being interviewed. In fact, last year, November 2018, he was being interviewed. I don't know who interviewed him. I just couldn't recognize that guy's face. And um, he asked Reinhard Bonnke this. He said, how do you respond to opposition? And he said something very interesting that really changed my life. He said this, instead of talking about opposition, he reframed the conversation to be about crisis. He said this, every crisis has an opportunity. Every time when you face a crisis, there is an opportunity. But most of us can't see that. You know why? Because we're emotional. We got panic. We just, we, just, we just react like everybody else. But if you have learned how to rest in God, meaning you trust that He is good, you trust that He's always good in spite of how awful the situation might be around you, you say, God, I'm going to trust you. If you can be rested in that, friends, you will see opportunities. I'll tell you a story, my personal experience. This is my last close. Okay. Crisis. You know, some of you who know me, I've always loved to invest in the stock market since I was in my early 20s. Just love it. You know, just, just I mean, I got a degree in economics just for that, you know. Started a macro movement of money. And um, how many of you remember 9-11? Some of you were not born yet. But 9-11, right? That's when, when the terrorists just flew two planes into the two towers. And there was great chaos. Remember that? And the stock market just tumbled. Good company was slaughtered in the stock market. You know, I remember it was Royal Bank, you know, all those major banks, you know. They, 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 they were worth, about for a couple of weeks, they were worth about 10% of their true value. You know what I did? I took every single dime I had, not much at the time, I was young, younger, I bought all the bank stocks. Yeah, I'm rich. But you know, everybody was selling in panic. See, when you, you know, I study history, stock market history, so I'm kind of at peace, I understood how the cycle moved, right? In fact, every single time when there's a drop in the market, I use the cash that I have to go and buy more stocks, right? Like this last week, 
And, um, but if you panic, you won't see it. There's going to be disruption coming, ladies and gentlemen, because God is doing great things. You can act like the world or you can trust God. You may not have the knowledge and the history, the, uh, the knowledge of the history of whatever that you're involved in, but if you trust God and stay in rest, He will speak to you loud and clear in your spirit. And you'll be able to take advantage of the opportunity that will be presented to you. Disruptions is a guarantee. I'm not cursing you. I'm just telling you that's facts of life and that's how the world works. But for those of us who are wise, instead of acting like Herod, we say, God, I'm going to trust you. Be it unto me according to your word. But you please stand. Let's everybody stand.